The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. we'll say, to round things up on the 6.30 Chad Afternoon News. As promised off the top of the show, an interesting guest in studio with us. A guest who begs the question, what have you been doing with your life? After reading his book, Dr. Dave Williams, an astronaut, an ER doctor, hospital CEO, former director of space and life sciences at NASA, recipient of the Order of Canada and the Order of Ontario, and Canada's record holder, for the longest and most spacewalks, his new memoir, Defying Limits, Lessons from the Edge of the Universe, is out, in which he shares the events that have shaped his life. Uh, before we talk about the book, and welcome to the studios, by Thanks the way. Thanks very much. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, you're a Saskatchewan boy, aren't you? I am indeed. I like to say just a curious kid from Saskatoon. <laughs> well, how do you go from being a Saskatchewan kid to walking in space? you got to answer an ad in the newspaper. Is that true, though? Yeah, that is true. 1992, in January, there was an ad in the Globe and Mail, want to be an astronaut so of course I had to send in my CV but I had dreamt about it from the time I was a kid and I was very lucky I got hired in 1992 went on to fly in space in 98. So what had you done up till the point in which you responded to that ad I mean you weren't some kid working on a ranch or something I mean you were I would assume a medical doctor at that point. I was but I'd always been interested in becoming an astronaut and yeah in the, that was in the 1960s I was told that was impossible as a Canadian growing up in the 60s because we didn't have astronauts in those days so if I feared I couldn't go to space I wanted to live and work underwater so I actually started scuba diving when I was 12 and that led to an interest in physiology which led to me becoming a doctor so I had a breadth of experience in a number of different areas so you send this in and there's 5300 applicants do you did you feel like at the time when you were selected that you won the lottery because that's what it seems like to me i felt really lucky but you know the part that i love about this there were 600 applications from kids less than 10 years of age that's fantastic. Less than 10 years? Less than 10 of, years okay. of age. And, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You get the letter coming back saying maybe reapply when you're in your 20s or something, but it looks really good framed on the wall. I'm sure, but there must have been a callback process, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> How many candidates was it narrowed down to? So we started off with 5,300, and then at the end it got narrowed down to 20 that they brought to Ottawa for a week. And I, I think, in all honesty, you could have picked any one of those 20 people, and they would have done an incredible job representing Canada. I was very very fortunate to be one of the four that was picked. So it's not your standard job interview, though. You go to Ottawa for this week. They're not like, all right, well, thanks for applying to, to become an astronaut. What what was that process like that week in Ottawa? What sort of things did they walk you through and ask you? So it's a little bit like the movie The Right Stuff, you know, where they're doing all sorts of physical fitness tests, medical examination, psychological screening, psychiatric screening. They had security checks. And, of course, we had to do verbal presentations and go through an interview panel with the Canadian Space Agency officials who asked you all sorts of questions about why you wanted to be an astronaut what your background was and are you married yes uh, how did your and were you married at the time uh yes i was yeah so how did your wife feel about the prospect of potentially becoming and, and by the way we're talking about you being an astronaut but you've done a gazillion other things we're just focused on that for the moment but what would your wife think or what did she think of you wanting to go into space she was thrilled my wife's a pilot with air canada she flies <laughs> 787s living the dream flying the dreamliner so she was really excited very supportive which i think was one of the unique aspects of our careers they paralleled each other so while i was studying medicine she was studying aviation becoming a pilot and then ultimately i became a an astronaut she became a captain with Air Canada what are the conversations like around your dinner table 
Well, you know, more importantly, the conversations were walking around the base of the space shuttle prior to my first launch. Kathy's looking up at the space shuttle. She leans over and says, Dave, you do realize every part went to the lowest bidder, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and let's be honest, there have been some circumstances where things have not gone 100% correctly. That has to go through your mind before you step onto one of those. It does, but you realize, you know, with all the millions of moving parts on the space shuttle, the reliability of what we've been able to achieve in sending humans to space is truly remarkable. We have had losses. There's no question. It's been tragic. I lost seven very close friends on Columbia in 2003. But in terms of the achievements, it's remarkable what we've been able to achieve in the last 50 years of human space travel. Did you not perform some sort of surgery while in space? I did on my first uh, space flight. We're actually doing some animal surgery in space, and the animals uh, survived, and we brought them back to Earth, and it was part of an experiment that we were doing, looking at how the nervous system adapted to being in space. But more importantly, we were able to understand how we go about giving an anesthetic, how we perform surgery, how to have an animal successfully emerge from anesthesia, care for it afterwards, and things. So it worked out quite well. So, you know, uh, I only learned of that today. Um, so is there any part of you, serious question, kind of, that had thought to yourself, man, if I had just played a guitar, though, I, more people would know what I did up there. You know, I think what's interesting about astronauts is the breadth of talents <laughs> that people in the astronaut corps have, and these unforeseen talents, right? You know, you can be in space with somebody, and all of a sudden you find out, gee, you're a singer, and things. it's quite amazing. <laughs> all right, uh, I have to ask us about some of these other things that you've done. So did you go from Saskatchewan to astronaut and then or Saskatchewan to Aquanaut to Astronaut to... I mean, what? walk me through the various aspects of your life. So I left uh, Saskatoon when I was a year and a half old. It wasn't oh, okay. my choice. My father got transferred, so we, I essentially grew up in Montreal and uh, had the dream of becoming an astronaut first, but uh, started scuba diving, went to McGill University, did a research degree in neurophysiology, then became a doctor, then I became an astronaut, and ironically flew in space as an astronaut before I ever became an aquanaut, lived and worked underwater. Oh. But I uh, did my pilot's license. Wait a minute, lived and worked underwater? Yes. Why would yeah. you do that? It's a great way to train astronauts to live and work on the space station. Okay, so that yeah. was the reason that you That's did That's the rationale. Okay, so right. now NASA's done probably over 22 underwater missions having astronauts live and work on the Aquarius Undersea Research Habitat to get them ready to live and work on board the International Space Station. Okay, I'm sorry for interrupting. So aquanaut, astronaut? Uh, yeah, aquanaut, astronaut, and then I retired from the space program in 2008 and uh, came back to Canada as a senior health healthcare executive and ultimately became a hospital CEO. Do you miss it now? I miss all aspects of it, you know. Uh, I certainly miss being in space, the incredible view and perspective we have of our planet from space. I miss doing the spacewalks. Living underwater, I still dive and uh, things I haven't been living underwater for probably over a decade or more, but uh, it's also an incredible experience. Uh, this is such a simple question, but I really want to know, what's it like to, to be in space? I mean, it's just such an obvious question, but to all of us that haven't been there, and there's so many of us, I mean, for you to, to have that dream and then and then go go into space and experience it as many times as you did, 
It must be a mind-blowing experience. It's absolutely incredible. It's the ultimate freedom because, of course, you're floating around, and it takes fingertip forces just to move around. My second spacewalk, I was riding on the end of the Canadarm. We had to install a gyroscope on the space station. The gyroscope and all the support equipment, it weighed 660 kilograms. It's like being on the skating rink, grabbing the Zamboni and swinging it around. (laughs) It's unbelievable what you're able to do, but more importantly, you're looking back at this incredibly beautiful planet that we orbit every 90 minutes. So we see a sunrise, sunset every 45, and you realize that we live on a very small planet, and you don't see any lines separating countries from space. We're all in this together. No matter what we might think, we're in fact all in this together, and the impact of pollution globally is something that we're quite concerned about. Uh, I do want to talk to you about uh, the spacewalk, because it did set a record for a Canadian spacewalk, but before I do, you're clearly, I, I don't think I'm breaking news to you or to our listeners, you're clearly a really intelligent guy. You, you obviously can't accomplish all of this. And it's been my experience that really intelligent people are uh, oftentimes not very handy. So when you hear that you have to go out and fix something outside of a space shuttle, I mean, are you a handy guy? Like, yeah, I'll fix that. Hand me the duct tape? Or are you just so fully trained that you know exactly what you're doing? Well, first of all, you obviously never spoke to any of my teachers in <laughs> elementary school or high school because I think they might disagree with you a little bit about that intelligent thing. But in terms of working with tools, interestingly, most spacewalking astronauts also love working on vintage cars. So, of course, I had a 1969 Triumph Spitfire. Oh, wow. You know, and if you know about Triumphs or MGs, it's all the same. I think I rebuilt the motor three times. Yeah, Rewired, you have to be a mechanic re- oh, yeah. to own one. Yeah. Rewiring the car. I mean, <laughs> essentially every year you're out there rewiring the car. But it's a great way to be able to prepare you for working with the same tools. Believe it or yeah. not, we use them in space to do the things that we're doing on the space station. So the spacewalk, and it did set a record for a Canadian, right? Length of uh, spacewalk? Yeah, I did three. So we've had three Canadians do spacewalks. I've done three. Chris Hadfield's done two, and Steve McLean's did one spacewalk. And do you know going into it that, uh, I mean, does NASA say, okay, so we're going to set a record on Wednesday, I mean, or during your training, do they say this is our, our plan uh, that we, we need you to set a record? Do they, do they manufacture goals for you to achieve? No. In fact, uh, when I was doing my space, I wasn't concerned about the record at all. Uh, what I wanted to do was make sure we did all of our spacewalks and didn't make a mistake and things. So we train really hard on the ground to make sure that we succeed in space. Uh, when I was first assigned the mission, I was supposed to do four spacewalks. And because I was the old guy on the mission, they wanted me to demonstrate that I could actually do four spacewalks essentially in a row on Earth. So we did that. And then they said, okay, this is great. Rick and Dave are going to do four spacewalks. Then it all changed. Clay joined our crew, and we changed it so we would each be doing three spacewalks. Hmm. We, we need to take a break. I do want to talk about your book, of course, and your sure. appearance tonight, so we can tell our listeners about that. One last question for you, though. I'm just thinking now about... Uh, you know, just being on an aircraft and taking off and landing, and some people are nervous about the takeoff, others the the landing, some people just don't like the feel of being on a plane. Is there a part of your experience as an astronaut that would make you nervous or that did make you nervous, or was there any fear involved in your job? You know, there's always an element of fear associated with doing what we're doing. The first time that you're sitting on a rocket lifting off to go into space, you'd be crazy not to be afraid, you know? (laughs) So, yes, it runs through your mind. But as soon as the ignition takes place, you're back in astronaut mode, monitoring what's going on to make sure that it's all going to work out. I I applaud you for that because I just picture myself being in that situation and I would not 
handle it well at all. No, it, it, to me, it's like, and it's not the same, but it, you know, the same sort of feeling as just before you step off bungee jumping or just as you're climbing the hill on a roller coaster. There has to be. You're right. Like if you're, you know, if you're a healthy average person, you've got to be thinking, did did I really just sign up for this? But uh, we'll find out more. We're talking to Dr. David Williams, astronaut, ER doctor, hospital. Oh, he's everything. Uh, We'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about his book, uh, Defying Limits, Lessons from the Edge of the Universe. All right, 2.51, rounded up again on the 6.30 afternoon news. We've been uh, sitting down and talking with Dr. David Williams, uh, who has just written the book uh, from uh, Defying Limits, Lessons from the Edge of the Universe. And uh, Dr. Williams, a couple of our texters, our listeners, had some quick questions for you. Sure. And, there, and you know, they say in school, there's no such thing as a dumb question. That's right. Right. So uh, one wants to know, how often do you change your underwear? So that's a great question, and uh, you've got enough underwear that you can change it every day, and we actually try and change it every day. When you're doing a spacewalk and you finish the spacewalk, you get out of your spacesuit, your long underwear is soaked in sweat ah. and things, so we have to be able to change it for the next spacewalk and things. Sweat doesn't wick away when you're in space the way it does on Earth. In fact, if you're exercising on the bike, you get this big pool of sweat on your back. It's kind of an interesting <laughs> phenomenon. You don't want to shake, right? It's kind of right. like the, well, the wet so dog. you strip out of your suit, uh, do globs of sweat, you know, go up in the air? They don't solely because they're absorbed in the, the ah. fabric of this of your underwear itself. But they could. So if you were to get on the exercise bike and not be wearing a shirt, you're going to get globs of sweat all over your chest, front of your chest, back of your chest, in between your shoulder blades and things. Who knew there'd be a follow-up question to, do you change your underwear? <laughs> um Somebody wants to know what takeoff feels like, if you could put that into words. Ride of a lifetime. You're lying flat on your back, looking out the overhead window, and you know you get the, the count of 10 seconds down to T0. T minus 6.6 seconds, the main engines of the space shuttle ignite. So you feel the orbiter, the power beginning to surge. But so far, the bolts are still holding it in place. The solid rocket boosters haven't ignited. The computers check the main engines are functioning in that six-second time period. And if everything looks good, the explosive bolts fire and the solid rocket boosters ignite and there's no question in your mind you're going someplace really fast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Somebody else wants to know, we recently had the uh, Flat Earth Conference uh, here in Edmonton. the question was basically, can you just confirm that the Earth is not flat? Uh, yes, I can say firsthand, having looked at it from all sorts of different angles, it is definitely not flat. All right, let's talk about your book, because uh, an interesting uh, answer that you gave to a question was that, uh, you know, some people fear death and others feel fear not living. And you've certainly lived a very full life. So is this book uh, about your life, or would you would you... Would you consider it to be a memoir or would you consider it to be a self-help book? It's a great question. You know, when I put it together, we wrote it as a memoir, but in retrospect, there's a number of different lessons that continue to resurface throughout the book. I was first confronted with the possibility of death at a fairly young age. I was hit by a car. I was in a truck accident a couple years after that. And at that point, I realized that, you know, we don't know how long we're going to be here. And as a physician, I've treated many patients at the end of their lives who had regrets and wished they had spent more time doing 
doing whatever. Generally, it's more time with loved ones, family, friends, doing things instead of spending time at work. So I committed when I was very young to trying to live my life to the fullest. And I very fortunately was able to achieve that. But there are a lot of twists and turns, ups and downs, and I learned more from failure (laughs) than I did from success. Nice. Uh, You're appearing tonight at the TELUS World of Science as uh, part of Lit Fest. And what is that? Uh, Is it a question and answer or a book reading? And what is it? We're going to be doing a presentation, so I'll be showing images that I took from space, particularly from the spacewalks. We're going to be having an interview after that, and uh, then I'll be signing autographs and signing copies of the books. All right, nice. Uh, That's happening tonight. Tell us World of Science uh, Center. Tell us World of Science Center. Uh, details, you can get it at litfest.org. And Dr. Dave uh, Williams, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Well, thanks very much for having me. Well, you know what? Have you got anything else planned before uh, you retire? I would love to travel a little more. We're working You'd on like the kids. You'd like to travel I a little would. more. Yeah, and get on I want to go to Spain. Yeah. Right. Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> How about Mars? Let's go to Mars. Yeah, there's a great destination. So travel a little more, maybe a little more writing, and work on a kids' TV show. Uh, you know what? I might be able to hook you up with the last one. All right, so uh, Dr. Dave Williams, tonight at uh, the TELUS World of Science. Get the details at litfest.org. Thank you again, sir, for being in studio. Next time you're in Edmonton, can you drop by again? Of course. Well, it's a date. The 6.30 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad.